Good evening, everyone. 6.30 and 30 seconds on Tuesday, March 29th. And I am here this evening to uh, to finish up our sermon that uh, that I started on Sunday and didn't quite didn't quite complete. So decided to hop on here like I have been the last many weeks and uh, and and finish it up. <laughs> but it's a beautiful sunny day out there. Have not been outside yet, so I don't really know. I've just heard rumors that it's a nice day. I've been here in my office trying to get caught up on things, failing to do so, but working feverishly to try to get get caught up. Um, someday, someday in the near future, I do believe, I do have the faith that I will get caught up on my work and, uh, and I'll be able to settle into a different routine. For me, and uh, it really just kind of boiled down to, I'm in a, this series, this Purple Faith series, is probably the most intense study series I've ever done as a pastor. It's taken some of the most intense work to, uh, to, to work it up. And, uh, and I, I was ahead until earlier this year in early January, about a, a week after Christmas vacation, our family got covid and uh, we were, you know, not able to participate in most of life for about a week or week and a half or so. And like I got behind with that work, with my with my study work for this and everything else at the church. And I have seriously not been able to catch up since. Been playing catch up this for the last two months, two and a half months now, I guess. And I'm hoping that uh, once we finish this series, because this series will end eventually. <laughs> When I finish this series, when we finish this series, I'll start getting caught up again on some of, some other things. But just keep adding things to my to-do list. I'm staying afloat, but that's about it. Anyway, I uh, hope you're having a great day. Hope you're having a, an enjoyable day. Uh, if you're watching, let me know you're here. I love I love getting to know that people are here. And um, and interacting a little bit. I don't know. I'm trying to do a couple things at once here. Got a couple different screens up in front of me. Using a using the system we use a little bit on Sunday so that we're broadcasting out to Facebook and YouTube. If you would rather watch on YouTube, you can go check us out over there on our 6-8 church page on YouTube. I suppose I could go go grab that and put that put that in the comments. Let's see youtube.com this is the page i'm going to try to type it here and see if it shows up everywhere hopefully i don't know if it will but i tried All right, so uh, we're finishing up uh, agreement number five. Agreement number five, by the way, the simple version of it is, as a recipient of God's irrational grace in Jesus, I will seek to be irrational in showing grace to others. As a recipient of God's irrational grace in Jesus, I will seek to be irrational in showing grace to others. Here is that link. If you want to uh, want to try to type it in, you're welcome to do so. 
we have received an, a crazy grace from God. We we have not been punished as our sins deserve. God has shown us grace. He's given us grace upon grace, and uh, and we've been we've been able to benefit from that. And we're blessed by God's grace. As someone who's received that great grace, then our job is to extend or show that same irrational grace to others. I will be the first to forgive, extending the generous grace of Jesus I have received to those around me. It doesn't matter if they deserve my forgiveness, because I didn't deserve God's forgiveness when he gave it to me. All of me has been redeemed. Heart, mind, body, not just my soul. I've been bought with a price, therefore I cannot do whatever I want with my body. Because Jesus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the words I speak will be words of life and not death. Because I have experienced God's redemption firsthand, I believe in redemption in all things. I believe in redemption for others and for our world. I will forgive as I have been forgiven. So that is, that is the agreement, agreement number five. As a recipient of God's irrational grace in Jesus, I will seek to be irrational in showing grace to others. On Sunday, we talked about A.M. Emmanuel, A.M.E. Church, and, and Reverend Thompson, and how his wife was shot in that shooting uh, in, in, uh, on June 17, 2015, and how, how he felt prompted, how he heard God speak to him and say to preach on Luke 17, a message of forgiveness, and and we talked about the effect that had. I'm gonna we're gonna get into that just a little bit more as we finish up uh, this evening, and I'm going to set something up right now as I'm thinking about it because I don't have it set up for you to be able to hear the conclusion of that. Let's see. Where did I put those? It is right here on my desktop. So we'll play the conclusion to that uh, to that interview from Reverend Thompson. But we talked a lot about the prodigal son. Uh, tried to get an understanding of what it means, what the prodigal son means, and uh, we talked about how prodigal isn't. <clears throat> um, doesn't mean lost, but prodigal means spendthrift or excessive spender, and it also can mean irrational, that God is God is prodigal towards us in the way that he shows us grace. And then I mentioned this book, Prodigal God, The Prodigal God, by Timothy Keller. And uh, if you if you buy one book, it's, it's a book, it's a small book, right? It's, it's not, you know, this is a normal book. Another another good book, by the way, if you want another good book to read, Jesus I Never Knew. But it's, it's a small book, and it's a thinner. It's a quick read. Uh, quick read, definitely worth your time. Not a, not a lot of pages, nice big margins. Get it, read it, you'll be glad you did. Um, but we talked about how, you know, how God is a prodigal God, that he shows us irrational grace and irrational love in the way that he has you know, provided for us. Um, so we got into that. I'm, I'll be posting the sermon uh, this evening, so you can go listen to that. It's also on our Facebook and YouTube page if you want to go get caught up there. 
We talked about our societal loss of grace and how we as Christians are probably at least partly to blame for cancel culture because we've been doing it longer. <laughs> That's the truth. We have been canceling things longer. Now, me personally, I have not been participating in that cancel culture that Christians did, boycotting Disney and a bunch of other things. There are lists online if you want to go see all the things that Christians have boycotted over the years. They're there, lots of them, um, like Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres got boycotted by Christians. So, uh, you know, there's lots of examples if you want to go look them up. But we're partly to blame, and and I think at least part of the reason um, our our society has so little grace is because the people who are supposed to be showing grace haven't been showing grace. We're like we Christians. Christians are supposed to be the people who extend grace, who show grace to the world around us. We're supposed to be examples of that. The light shining on the hill of the grace of God and the unconditional love of God, the the in, immense love of God and sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Like we're supposed to be showing this incredible grace and yet we don't. Not obvious. I'm I'm generalizing. I, I hope you know that when I'm talking about we, I'm talking about we at large. And I know there are many, 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 many of us Christians who do show grace. Uh, but but as as a group, as a group, we've kind of gotten a bad reputation for it. We're kind of judgmental. And I'm not going to go down that road again because we already covered that at length in the week on judgment. <laughs> so don't worry. Don't worry. We're not going to rehash things. We're going to cover new material. We talked about how we're so easily offended in the world today. We, oh, cancel culture and Diane Feinstein getting can to get canceled by, by uh, her party because she hugged Lindsey Graham. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, if you want to see, see if I can copy um, that here and put that also in the links here in the comments so you can go check that out. Um, we talked about how we're so easily offended. Why are we so easily offended? I didn't get into this on Sunday. This is new information. Um, but uh, part of the reason we're so easily offended is because we've gone away from the from overarching concepts in society, and we ourselves have become um, the arbiters of truth. We've become, you know, we are my truth, right? Like, we define truth and reality based on what we define truth and reality to be. And so we're so easily offended because things that didn't used to be attached to ultimate reality are now attached to ultimate re reality because we define ultimate reality. And so when I say something is important to me, it's not just an idea that I think about. It's actually a part of my identity. And so that's a, that's a big part of the reason why we're so easily offended. I didn't talk about that on Sunday because I ran out of time, but uh, definitely worth mentioning we already covered that as well. We talked about the unmerciful servant and uh, and how I was actually redoing the math today as I was writing this out, trying to get a better uh, definition, better writing of it. And um, I was way off on the math. Yeah, I didn't I didn't account for some things. You know, um, it would take two hundred thousand years for for this man who was forgiven by the king of 10,000 bags of gold that he owed the king, it would take approximately 200,000 years for this man to repay that debt. If you take the average salary of 50,000 uh, in, in America, and then you add um, inflation to it, 
over 50 years, that 50,000 becomes something like 150,000 um, in salary. Uh, so in 150,000 years, if you're making $50,000 now, you'll be making $150,000 then. But that's, you know, so, but if you just take $50,000, multiply that out over, um, over 10, over 200,000 years, you get $10 billion. But then you add inflation to that, you're talking trillions, gazillions. I don't even know a Google, G-O-O-G-O-L, which is 10 to the 100th power. It's a lot of money. It's a it's an irreconcilable debt. The, the, the servant couldn't pay it back. And yet the king forgives him. And then that servant proceeds to go out and find somebody who owes him just like 100 silver coins, like a month, a half, a couple of weeks, maybe, depending on how much you're making. Um, not a lot of money. And depending on when... You know, still, even it could be even less money. So, um, but he goes out and finds a servant, the servant who owes him, and he chokes him, throws him into debtor's prison until he pays back every cent. The master calls back in the first servant and calls him wicked. I canceled all that debt of yours, but you couldn't have had mercy on your fellow servant. So we talked about that, and then we just we we kind of finished up there because um, well, we didn't quite finish up there. I covered a little bit more like vengeance, redemption. The kingdom of heaven is like how we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, and how how we're, we don't really have enemies because because God has enemies. God has people who are living opposed to Him. We have one enemy that's that's Satan, who's actively working against us. But but uh, Paul says um, our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? Our enemy is is principalities and rulers of of the darkness. That's Satan. That's our enemy. Um, our, our fellow citizens of earth are not our enemies. They may feel like enemies because they oppose us, um, but they're not our enemies because ultimately they're not opposed to us. They're opposed to the one we represent, which is God himself. Right? Yeah, we, we represent God. We're representatives of God. We're representatives of the kingdom of God. And so when someone, when it feels like someone is opposed to us, they're actually opposing God. And those who are not yet believers, as you know, Scripture lays it out, are living in rebellion and opposed in opposition to God. They're enemies of God, Romans 5.8. And Jesus died for us while we were still enemies, and so we don't have enemies because we don't want to be opposed to people whom Jesus has died for. So we're, you know, we're, we're all citizens of, of earth, and some of us are citizens of God's kingdom, and our job is to be ambassadors bringing people out of out of the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we don't have enemies, right? We've been redeemed by the blood of, of Jesus, and we're on God's team. So we, we really have no, no reason to seek out vengeance when someone wrongs us. We have no reason to go after someone who, who offends us because, because they haven't truly offended us. They've offended something about God in us. So as Paul said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. God, as we know, as we already talked about in the week on judgment, there is a, there is a judgment that God is going to bring at some point in time. And he will get justice at that point in time. And it's his job to get justice, not ours. So let's talk about forgiveness. See, uh, Tomorrow, actually, great timing, really good timing. The uh, Girl on a Hill podcast is going to be releasing an episode on forgiveness. So I encourage you to listen to that. 
Um, if you're watching this live on Tuesday evening, it hasn't aired yet, but after the after that, it's aired. Go get it. You can go get it now. But we are supposed to be irrational in giving out grace, which means we as Christians need to be great forgivers. We need to be really good at forgiving people. Now, remember, when we talk uh, about prayer, Jesus, when he taught about prayer in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, after he taught about prayer, he in the prayer he said, you know, forgive, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. But right after that, he gave just a little commentary. His commentary wasn't about prayer. His commentary wasn't about communion with God. His commentary was about forgiving other people. He said, Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we shy away from passages like this because they're hard to teach. We, we don't like the idea that, that, uh, that we may not receive, you know, the salvation that we really want um, in, in eternity. And, you know, I grew up in the Wesleyan Church, and then I studied in a Calvinist school. So we teach eternal security, but we also teach that you can walk away from your salvation. Um, we don't, you can't lose your salvation by accident. Um, which is kind of what I grew up believing that you could you could have some kind of unpardoned accidental sin in your life, and and God wouldn't let you in wouldn't let you into heaven. Uh, I don't think that's a, a really consistent with Scripture, um, because what about the sin? I don't want to get into this, but what about the sins that you commit that you don't even know that you committed, so you didn't even know to ask for forgiveness, and so you'd have to go to bed asking for forgiveness of all the sins you committed that you didn't know that you committed, and hope that you prayed got them all covered. <laughs> But um, but it seems that Jesus is connecting our, our forgiveness to our ability to forgive others. And based on uh, what we see going on in the world around us, if that's true, if that statement of Jesus, if that teaching of Jesus is true, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, we're, we're in a world of hurt because we're not doing so good at forgiving one another right now. We're, we're holding on to grudges. We're holding on to fences, uh, fences. We're not we're not letting people off the hook for the things they've done to us, and we're holding on to it. But but God demonstrates His own love for uh, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans five eight. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet offending God, while while we were doing things that God needs needed to forgive us for. God forgave us even before we could do anything to seek redemption or restitution or making things right. Before we could actually come up with anything that, that would show that we deserved God's forgiveness, God demonstrated his love for us in sending Jesus to die for our sins. So then if we are supposed to be becoming like Christ, be becoming like Christ, be little Christ, so the word Christian means little Christ, it was actually a derogatory insult when it was used at first. Like those those little Christians, those those little Christs, those little Jesuses running around. You know, you know the the little the little Jesuses. It was, it was kind of how it was originally used, and they, then it was brought like it was it was slang derogatory language used towards Christians, and then we embraced it and said, no, this is this is that's true. We are supposed to be little Christ. We are Christians. Um. 
if we're Christians, we're little Christ, which means we're supposed to be demonstrating love the same way love was demonstrated towards us. And, and the call to follow Jesus means that we, that we take up the cross, we deny ourselves daily, we take up our cross, we, we disown ourselves daily, it's another way of putting it, we disown ourselves daily, we take up our cross daily, follow Jesus. And that taking up the cross is doing what Jesus did for us and that he laid down his life for us. He stood in our place. He, he took what we deserve to get. And that's the same, that's the way we're supposed to love others. We're supposed to love others in that way. Right? We, we can't do anything to earn our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God's gift of grace to us, God's irrational grace to us, like it's crazy, God's crazy grace to us is, is the same grace we're supposed to give to others. We didn't do anything to earn it, so we cannot expect or demand that others have to do something to earn our grace or our forgiveness or our kindness. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, forgive one another, just as in Christ. God forgave you. Just as God forgave us, we're supposed to forgive one another. Christians, we need to be people of irrational grace, ridiculous grace, crazy grace, a grace that just does not make any sense to the world around us, a grace that just, that just looks insane. Like, why would we forgive the kind of grace that we saw on display from Reverend Thompson and Emmanuel AME Church. That's an irrational grace that they showed. That's the same grace that we're supposed to have. St. Augustine said, Grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. Right? We, we didn't receive grace because of what we've done. We received grace so that we could do something. That's what Augustine says. John Piper says a similar thing. He says, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. Spurgeon, if grace does not make us defer from other men, it is not the grace which God gives his elect. I like that one. If grace doesn't make us different from, from, the, from the unbelieving people around us, then we didn't really get God's grace. We got something else. Because God's grace makes us different. God's grace makes us stand out. That's how we're the city on the hill. We're standing out by, by being people who live differently. That's what light and salt is. It's different from everything else. Salt adds flavor. It's different from the food that you're adding it to. If you eat a bunch of bland food that all tastes the same, you add a little salt to it, all of a sudden there's a little bit of contrast in your mouth, and you have taste, and you enjoy it a lot better. Light is contrast to darkness. You know, that, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be living lives of contrast to the world around us. Grace is supposed to make us different from others. If I don't have this grace, then I have to live like the older brother in the prodigal, right? If I don't really have this grace, then I have to live by religion and prove myself all the time. If I, don't, if I haven't really experienced God's grace, then I'm still under the trap, under, under, the, un, under really the slavery, the bondage of religion that says I have to prove myself and I have to do these things. I have to live in such a way that I'm proving myself to the world around me. 
And when someone comes along that threatens that, when someone comes along that threatens my ability to prove myself, then they, they become the problem. And I fixate on them and the, and the problem. Instead of forgiving them, then I have to eradicate them. But if I have this grace, this irrational grace of God through Jesus, then I recognize that the Spirit empowers me then to be a representative of this grace to the world around me. Right? The Spirit of God is empowering me. Yes, it empowers me to live a Christ-like life so that, I, so that I don't want to sin, so that I'm not giving in to the old man, I'm embracing the new man. Yes, that is part of what the Spirit empowers us to do. But the Spirit empowers us to live lives of mission, and part of that mission is grace, and we're supposed to be ambassadors of grace. So if the Spirit is empowering me to live righteously, the Spirit is empowering me to live missionally, and that Spirit is empowering me to be then a person of irrational grace which means I have to be a person that forgives. I have to be a person that forgives when people don't deserve my forgiveness. I have to be, as a Christian, someone who forgives first and fast and frequently. We're going to get into that in just a second. It's good alliteration, though, so it came right to my mind. See, alliteration works. It helps us remember things. All those cheesy things those pastors do all, all throughout all our lives really do help us remember things. So it helps us live that life better. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to get to the practical application. How do we live purple? That's the goal, right? Purple faith. Remember, purple faith does not mean that we're compromising. It doesn't mean that 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 people who are blue are becoming more red. It doesn't mean people who are red are becoming more blue. That's not what purple is. You get purple when you mix red and blue together. When red and blue come together, we get purple. It's the same thing. It's how it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God, right? There's supposed to be this amazing diversity. We talked about it at the beginning of our sermon series that in the in the kingdom of God, there's this incredible diversity. In Revelation, there's this moment when the multitude of people are coming from every tribe and nation and tongue, and they come together into the new kingdom of God. And it's this great epic moment. And we talked about how people who come from all these different backgrounds, this diversity of, of, of upbringing and thought and all that, they're going to come together at that table. They're going to have different beliefs, different thoughts, different ideologies, but yet they're going to be unified by one thing, the overarching thing that we've been talking about this whole series. They're going to be unified by the blood of Jesus. They're going to be wearing his righteousness as their robe, and they will be able to come together under that one banner of Jesus. So we're living purple. We're coming together red and blue. And, and we're, we're living by these higher agreements. And part of the, one of those higher agreements, agreement number five, is to be a person of irrational grace because we've received irrational grace. Point number one, we're wrapping this up. Living purple. How do we live purple? How do we live out this, you know, this incredible grace and forgiveness of people of irrational grace? Number one, we have to embrace our own redemption, remember our own rebellion, focus on the Father, not the fortune. Right? We have to remember where we came from. We have to remember our own rebellion in our life, and then we have to focus on what we get from forgiveness, which is the Father, not his fortune. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is talking about his life. And he says this, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
And then, then he remembers his rebellion. He remembers where he came from. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in, in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now for, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see it there when we remember how much God has saved us from and the grace he's given to us and the redemption he's brought into our life. We're just like Paul, we're prompted to worship in response. God's done these amazing things. It's immense, he's shown me immense patience. Now to the immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? If we're going to live purple, we have to remember our own redemption. We have to remember our own rebellion. Look, Paul says right here, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. We don't like, we, we, we just, we want, we, we want to forget all of that. And, and I understand, like, that's not who I am. That's who I was. And now God redeemed me from that. And now he's making me a new person in Christ. The old is gone. The new is here. I've become this new person, a new creation. But at the same time, it was still me who did that. Like, like Paul is saying here, he remembers he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent man. And that's putting it lightly. If you want to get the full picture of it, go read Acts chapter 22 through 26. And Paul really d divulges his history and, and the horrible things that he did. He... he he was responsible for ordering executions of Christians and, and the imprisonment of, of many Christians. And, and he had a reputation that people feared him, that when he came to town, they hid. Right? He, was, he was a blasphemer because he said that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. He taught with his own mouth that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. He was a persecutor. He persecuted Christians, and he was a violent man. He was a sinner. He was the worst of sinners. And yet he says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save people like me. Like Paul, we have to remember. We have to remember our own rebellion and what God has redeemed us from and what he's redeemed us into so that we're reminded of the own grace, the irrational grace God has shown us in our own lives. And that as we, as we remember our own our own redemption, we look on those who have not yet received that redemption and we want them to see and experience that same irrational grace through us. And at the same time, we need to focus on the Father and not the fortune, right? Because it's so easy for us Christians to get focused on that fortune, right? We've, we've gone to thinking that heaven is eternity and it's that mansion just over the hilltop. You remember this one? In that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday under, we will never more wander. But walk on streets that are purest gold. 
I didn't quite sing it right. I, I really should have sung it like this. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of this because this is where I grew up. I came from there, so I can sing it like this. And it's not, it's not, it's not making fun of them. This is how I heard it. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we'll never more wander, but walk on streets that our purest gold. Bum, ba, dun, dun, bum. That's the piano part finishing up there. <laughs> Finally got a comment out of somebody, though. My wife says I have no words. Yeah, that's good. Hey, and uh, I'm going to just throw that up there on the screen for people to see. <laughs> We got this idea that heaven is all about the gold and the mansions and the jewels and the rubies and, you know, the pearls and the pearly gates and the crystal sea ocean and the great food and, and the big house where we can play football and all these things. Um, and we got so focused on the fortune that we would receive in heaven that we actually said, I think we have suffered the flaws of, of the older brother and the prodigal and we're not paying attention any longer to to the to the father so we need to focus again on the father we, we can't miss the point of redemption which is that eternity is about knowing the father right there's nothing wrong with thinking about all the great things that heaven is going to be and heaven is going to be great and 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 the actual the the permanent redemption that will be when god restores paradise on earth and he brings in this new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth and all these new things. And everything will be made new and there'll be no more curse and, and all of the struggle and the pain and the heartache and, and the crying and, and all of the, the death. It'll all be gone. Those are, those are truths that are, that are truly out there waiting for us. And it's worth talking about and thinking about. Randy says hello. Hey, Randy, how you doing? It's good to think about those things, but we can't get so focused on the stuff we're going to get in eternity that we actually forget about the Father, right? We get so focused on the fortune that awaits the, the co-heirs of Christ that we stop paying attention to our relationship with the Father here and now. None of that stuff is the point. It's the setting. The point of heaven, the point of eternity is the Father, Right? All of that stuff is just the setting. It's just all the stuff that's going to surround us. It's what it's going to be like. But the point of it is that God himself will be the light. God himself will be our God, and we will be his people, that promise that has been yet to be experienced throughout everything. So we gotta, we got to embrace our own redemption, remember our own rebellion, focus on the Father, not the fortune. That's point number one. You're like, that's like four points. That's really just one. It's all kind of wrapped into one. Focus on the Father, not the fortune. Number two, getting real practical here. I will seek out forgiveness when I have wronged someone. I will seek out forgiveness when I have wronged someone. If I have done something to offend someone and I become aware of an offense that I have caused, then I will seek out forgiveness. I will humble myself. I will not be proud. I will not be arrogant. I will not be someone who says that, 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 that it's, well, 
if they're really offended, then they should come talk to me about it. If I know I have offended someone, I will seek out forgiveness when I have wronged someone. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and, <laughs> excuse me, if you're altar, offering your gift at the altar, <laughs> I'm going to have to take just something to drink. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Like if you're bringing a gift to the altar, if you're bringing in something, you know, as for worship, My wife says, just so you know, because it used to happen to us all the time, it happened again on Sunday during your sermon. Chris and I just kept looking at each other wide-eyed because you would say something we had just said in our podcast on forgiveness. We just recorded an hour earlier. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier this evening, go listen to that podcast when it, uh, when it drops tomorrow. The Girl on a Hill podcast tomorrow is about forgiveness. I forgot to put Randy's comment up there. Hello. <laughs> You're doing great. I'm glad you're doing great, Randy. Throw that one up there because I can, because it's fun. It's fun to be able to do things like that. Um, when we know we've offended someone, we need to go seek out reconciliation. That's what Jesus said to do. And then Zacchaeus is praised because of the way he seeks to make things right, right? Luke chapter 19, verse 8 Jesus is getting a hard time because, because he's at the dinner with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It's restitution, right? It's making, making amends. That's, what, that's uh, one, of the, one of the steps, one of the 12 steps, right? It's making amends. It's, it's, it's seeking to make amends when you've done something wrong comes right out of Jesus' mouth. It's something that Jesus taught. So, so we need to remember our own, our own rebellion and redemption. We need to focus on the Father, not the, not the fortune. But we need to seek out forgiveness if we have wronged someone. If we've wronged someone, we need to seek out forgiveness. Number three, from Romans chapter 12, we need to let God get revenge. Our job is to be gracious. Let God get revenge. Our job is to be, re to be gracious. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Pretty clear. <laughs> don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written in his mind to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and Paul gives this as a command, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our job when we're offended is not when someone hurts us, when someone wounds us, when when someone needs to be forgiven by us. Our our job is is to not go and get vengeance and, and to balance out the scales. That's what we want to do. We want to say, well, yeah, you did this to me, so I'm going to need I'm going to need you to do this, so we can kind of balance things out. That's not Jesus's teaching. That's more like karma. <laughs> that's, that's more like more like other other religions than it is Christianity. 
Jesus' teaching is forgive. Forgive. Forgive, because that's how God is going to forgive us. Number four, live unoffendably. Man, we're so easily offended in our culture today. We take things so personally. Like, like somebody can say the smallest thing. I'm, I'm watching this show right now, uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. Love it. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's a cool, cool show. If you've got Netflix, you can go check it out. I don't know if it's anywhere else. That's where I'm watching it. See, we have good internet now, so we're streaming again, so we're getting caught up on some of these shows people have been watching for the last 10 years or seven years. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things that a regular theme as the comedians are talking is about how they're not able to joke about anything anymore. We're so easily offended. We've got a really good, hot example of this right now. Just happened on Sunday night at the Oscars. You know what I'm talking about? A, a real hot example, Will Smith, Chris Rock. Did you see it? Did you see the slap? Did you see the slap heard around the world, as it's being called? Right? Chris Rock is is, is making jokes. He makes an inappropriate joke about about uh, Will Smith's wife, wife Jada, and her and her hair loss because of her illness. And uh, and Will Smith walks up on stage and smacks him right in the face. And then he yells at him for, you know, a few seconds and swears at him and does some things like that. It's like, okay, so, so what's the right, what's the right thing to do? Well, I mean, maybe Chris Rock shouldn't have made the joke, but it's his job to make jokes. That's why they bring him there. Maybe he, maybe he didn't know that she was sick. Maybe he knew that she was sick and he made the joke and he shouldn't have, and that's inappropriate for him to do. So he needs to apologize for that. But, you know, that's kind of what the host does at the Oscars is he makes fun of the famous people in the audience. And But you're not allowed to make jokes anymore. And, and Will Smith kind of proved my point. Like, you, can't, you, you just can't make jokes about anything anymore. And I'm not saying that it was an appropriate joke. Like, I, I wouldn't make that joke. I would never make a joke like that, especially if I knew someone was suffering from an illness like that. But sometimes we say things we shouldn't say, and people just just takes the, the highest level of offense at it, and we hold on to it. Now, fortunately, Will Smith has apologized. I, I'm glad to see that. You know, he apologized that evening to the Academy. He apologized the next day on Twitter to Chris Rock. So, you know, and so now, now my response is, okay, let's forgive them both. Let's not let, let's just forgive them both. Let's just let them both off the hook. We can learn from their moment, you know, the thing that happened. And we can we can learn from it, but we just forgive them both. But we need to live unoffendably. We need to not let our feelings get hurt so easily. And I think if we can understand that that what's happening when someone hurts our feelings is, you know, if if it's if it's a non-believer that that offends us and hurts our feelings, really they're they're not offending us; they're offending God because we're representative God, uh, representatives of God and His kingdom. And yeah, they might be directing it at us, aiming it at us, but really it's just it's a response to God and this and the rebellion against God that exists in this person's life. And when it's uh, other Christians offending us, and when it's Christian to Christian that's that's causing the offense, then, then we need to recognize that we're that we're that we're flawed. We're broken and we need to forgive. And it's hard to forgive. I get it. I really do. I, I don't know if you know this, but, but it's hard to forgive. It, it, you know, pastors ex- do actually experience a lot of heartache. Um, I can tell you sometime, but, but, but we experience a lot of heartache. We, 
we not only do we experience the pain that our people are going through, but but people do things to us too. People people say things to pastors that hurt them. People do things to pastors that hurt them. People accuse pastors of things they didn't do, and it hurts them. And and, and people people leave and 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 break fellowship over some of these things. And we keep up this list. You know, we we. We write this list and and we break the the the, uh, the advice of Paul in First Corinthians chapter thirteen that says, "Love keeps no record of wrongs." But we do this in Christianity, and we just keep making this list and and we make up this list and we keep adding to the list, and then finally that list just becomes too long, and we we let it break a relationship. We just keep getting offended. We keep getting offended. We keep getting offended. We keep adding to the list and we keep adding to the list and we get so offended that eventually we have to, we have to break the relationship. We need to learn to live unoffendably. We, we need to learn to forgive first, fast, and frequently. That's my last point. Number five, we have to learn to forgive first, fast, and frequently. Colossians chapter three, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, Kingdom representatives, God's chosen people, royal priesthood, that's us, right? As representatives of God's kingdom, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We need to forgive first, fast, and frequently. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive first, fast, and frequently. Keep on forgiving. Keep on being patient. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, long-suffering is another way that it's put. Self-control. Randy says when he was in uh, the VA Recovery Center, he learned a quote from Nelson Mandela. It goes, Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. In fact, I have it framed and hanging on my wall. Forgiveness liberates the soul, it removes fear, and that's why it's such a powerful weapon. That's a good quote by someone who, who, who lived that out with his life. Yeah, it's, as, as Reverend Thompson says in, 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 his, uh, in the interview from uh, Sunday that we talked about, that, that forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets you free, Right? And then Reverend Thompson went up and he preached this message the Sunday after the shooting in his church where nine of his people, nine of his family members were killed. And he preached from Luke chapter 17, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And they forgave and they forgave and they forgave and they're continuing to forgive. I want to play again the closing of that of that story because it was so powerful. I have to get a couple of things set up here, but uh, I, I want to end on that, um, not not on me. 
and let that kind of be the final word. Here is here is Reverend Thompson's uh, last last thoughts here. I want to ask you about that because it was such a statement, such an illustration of grace when you and the other family members stood up there and forgave the person who took the lives of your loved ones. But there were people in Charleston who they saw that and felt that by forgiving the shooter, you had freed him from accountability in some way, that you had given the broader country an easy way to say these things happen. The only way to deal with it isn't to change gun laws or take on racism at the root cause. It's just to forgive and move on. What do you say to that? I've told people that the forgiveness is not for the perpetrator or the offender. Forgiveness is for the victim. I didn't let Dylan off the hook. Dylan is in prison. But I'm free. And it changed Charleston. How so? You know, where there was this undertone of racism that people, we just didn't talk about. But we came together. You know, as one people, the flag, the Confederate flag came down when nobody was talking about the flag. It's just, it just, just forgiveness just opened everybody's minds up and started to heal our city. There's a lot going on since that day. You know, God took this tragedy and brought the good, and it all came from acts of forgiveness. Reverend Anthony Thompson. Thank you so much for talking with us. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Such a good interview. I put the quote, the link uh, to that interview in the comments here if you want to go check that out. Um, and man, just powerful. I, I loved. I just. I loved his tone of voice when when he said, "And I'm free." He says, "And I'm free. I'm free." Because he's because he was able to forgive, he is free. You know, it reminds me of of the story of Joseph and that song that we sing that goes along with it. It says, "What what you intended for evil, God used for good." Genesis chapter fifty, I believe, is where that is found. Like what 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 Dylan intended for evil, God has used for good. He's brought about you know the the, the forgiveness because they. And you, and you heard it even in the interviewer's voice there. She said, I can't remember her name, but, but she said, you know, everyone thought you're just letting, them off, letting him off the hook for what he did by forgiving him. And that's not right. You can't let him off the hook. He, he needs to pay. People need to pay when they make these mistakes. And, and yet he talked, you know, he, they forgave. He talk, for, taught forgiveness and he talks forgiveness and they went and showed forgiveness in the courtroom. And they talked about all the things that have changed in their city as a result of that, that act of forgiveness. How, how there had always been this, the undertone of racism in their community, and yet because they forgave, flags started coming down, reconciliation started to happen. You know, the, the racism just started, to, started to, to lose its power. 
And that's one of the things about forgiveness is that is that as long as we're not forgiving, whatever whatever the sin is, whatever the offense is, is it holds its power, it holds its claws in us. Like like Randy was talking talking about. But when we forgive, it's like it's like all of a sudden we we've just when we forgive, we've pulled the talons of that offense out of our heart, out of our soul, and we just let it fly and let it go. And all the fear and the shame and everything that came along with it is gone. Forgiveness is a powerful weapon, and that's how Mandela changed. Uh, could have used so many examples here. Uh, Mandela is another another good one. Thanks for that, Randy. We need to forgive first, fast, and frequently. All right, that's where I'm going to wrap it up. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions before we we uh, fin- we end the uh, live stream here, go ahead and share those now. I really hope I really hope you know we can we can I'm sure I'm guessing that we who are listening to this probably already pretty good at forgiving we're already we're already pretty pretty good forgivers I would estimate <laughs> maybe we've got some room for growth I bet if you're listening to this you may feel like you're pretty good at forgiving already uh, but but you know there's always room for improvement and as God brings things to mind that we need to forgive let's forgive first fast and frequently and, and move on from it and not let those not not let really really not let the cancer of a world in rebellion infect us by by holding on to unforgiveness. But but let's let God God the healer right. That's like He healed us from sin, but but He's healing us from the effects of sin and and the ongoing effects of sin in a broken world that we live in is is the pain and frustration. And yet He can by through forgiveness we can bring the grace of the kingdom of God into our world. And, 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 and by his stripes, not only are our souls healed from our own sin, but that healing can come into the world around us as we become agents of forgiveness, as we live out this irrational grace in the world that we're living in. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your just ridiculous, insane ununderstandable grace that you've given to us as your children. Thank you for the grace that's poured out the way you loved us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, even while we were still living in rebellion against you. While we were still your enemies, you sent your son to die for us, who died in our place. He died the death we deserve to die. He lived the life we should have lived. And yet you just pour out so much on us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for those of us who believe, who who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and made white as snow and are no longer under the rule and reign of sin and rebellion. We have so much we can be thankful for. We've, we've been so blessed by you just by saving us from our own sin. And yet we still, we have so many more blessings beyond that. One of those blessings is being an agent of redemption in a world of rebellion. Father, help us to be agents of redemption in a world of rebellion, to be go to be going out into the world on a regular basis, seeking to be ministers of reconciliation as we are ambassadors of the grace of the kingdom of God. And I pray, Father, that, that you would help us to restore the reputation of the church that has been marred by, by canceling things out that we have no business canceling and boycotting things and just, just all the ways that we're not forgiving people. Help us, Father, to, to bring about, to bring back the, the testimony, the reputation of forgiveness, of crazy grace from Christians, and that the world would start to recognize that, that no matter how deeply we're offended, no matter the harm that has caused us, even, even if, if someone were to do 
a tragedy to us, like, like it was experienced in Charleston, that we would still be able to forgive. And that forgiveness would be a testimony of the kingdom life and what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the eternal God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have a wonderful evening. We'll see you uh, this coming Sunday, 5 o'clock, where we are having family. Like, what's your family known for? What's the recipe your family's known for? Make that and bring it and share it with us at 5 p.m. this coming Sunday, where we share a meal and we talk about the next agreement in our Purple Faith series. Only two left. We're just about done. So uh, six and seven, and then it's actually Easter after that. So have a wonderful evening. We'll talk to you very soon.